hello everyone and we are here now to uh, have a quick interview with Michael Gelman who has just taught his character to performance workshop to Improcro Troop and uh, some of the students as well. Thank you for coming along Michael. Well thanks for having me. And we're just going to open up with uh, the first question actually. You mentioned just afterwards that as much as we learn you also learn uh, when you're teaching these workshops. What, what exactly do you learn? <laughs> I knew you were going to ask that. <laughs> I have no idea. No, I, I, um, whenever I'm, there's a couple things you learn when you're teaching, and everyone who teaches, regardless of whether it's improvisation or not, understands. First of all, you learn how to be a better teacher. You learn things you do, don't do, things that work and don't mm -hmm. work, and things that resonate with the students. Mm -hmm. But uh, more specifically for improvisation, uh, one learns the craft that can how to I'm I'm not articulate how to actually create theater from scratch, and and there there must be dozens and dozens of different ways to do it and different approaches to it. So every time I work with a group of people, they teach me how to do that better, and then I steal that. And I take it back to Canada and Chicago and build plays. And I'm not kidding. <laughs> I actually do. And, and so the, 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 each time one explores the work on an advanced level, which this was this weekend, then you can start to, to one, or one, I can start to take it back and, and say, let's try this technique or this worked in Manchester, let's try this in order to develop the play either from a book or, or uh, from the, the minds of the actors. Yeah, so I would imagine when you teach then with each different workshop, would you try something different? Absolutely. Right, so and then you know, see what works, see what doesn't work. And then even from, say, if any of us failed then, you would then learn from there what? There is no failure. <laughs> <laughs> got me that but there. of course i mean w at least i always start out with some basic tools from the toolkit uh with any group of people and then explore beyond that so and then the group sort of dictates where it goes i mean certainly what i had planned for day two hmm. was not what we ended up doing uh primarily because of what you guys did in day one and that changes and evolves. So just like an improvisation, yeah. one is uh, in, in one of the teaching involved in staying on your toes, mm. playing playing with the moments and being in the moment and taking the group where you think the group can go or where they need to go or where they should go or where you hope they can go. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes that fails. That's the hardest part is when you you take a group of people to a specific place and it doesn't resonate or it doesn't hit and it's like oh no so then what do you do like when you're trying to teach a specific i uh, get a train out of town as fast as possible <laughs> <laughs> is that with or without the money <laughs> <laughs> um you guys uh did uh, a really nice we we've the workshop this weekend culminated in two one act plays and they were they were short but they were one act plays uh, with four characters each uh created through scenario developed by characters in scenes that you had done prior to that. And, and that's an extraordinary thing, to take raw characters in a matter of an hour and a half or, or so, create two one-act plays that are absolutely viable. 
and 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 very interesting for the audience to watch. And uh, Deborah, my wife, came in and she was laughing like crazy because she was she didn't know what we were up to. Yeah. So she she just saw it as the thing that was being presented, mm-hmm. not the process of how it was created. Yeah. It's like sausage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. don't think about how it's made. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you think there's differences between British improvisers and American or North American improvisers? Um, generally, no. Specifically, of course, because it's different cultures, yeah. uh, different sensibilities, different acting styles, different training. Um, so, uh, in, it, in the face of it, absolutely, people are people yeah. all over the world, not just British and North America, but. Um, all over the world and in every language. But uh, sp- more specifically, certainly the, the culture. Um, in, in Britain, there's a lot less, uh, people are a lot less likely to explode, yeah. you know, and go off on someone. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And in North America, that sort of goes with the territory. Yeah. You know, it's, it's part of what every uh, beginning improviser does, is starts yelling and screaming and pulling the gun. Um, that doesn't happen in the <laughs> UK. <laughs> People just don't pull guns here like they do. I uh, think it's because we can't get any. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a, f- a friend of mine, Ron West, who was in uh, who was in the cast I was directing, and he was in my theater company. And he says, uh, "Never go on stage without a gun." <laughs> <laughs> and he's absolutely serious about yeah. it. He, he carries a, a loaded um, starting pistol with him on stage all the time. Oh, a real oh physical pistol? Yeah, and oh. so when he you say a line that he doesn't like, he just kills you. <laughs> <laughs> he takes his gun out and shoots you. This is an awkward time for me to tell you guys I always have a machete strapped to my back in any given scene I do. Well, you're from New Zealand, of course. <laughs> well, I was going to say, because one, no- one difference I notice, particularly with British even just British comedy, because a lot of stand-ups do this as well, it's really referential here in a way that's obviously intended to be very inclusive to the audience. So in a training situation like that, how valuable do you think it is? Do you think that falls under what you were saying over the workshop with being more specific and feeding that into your character? Um, Of course, it has to be. I mean, I love the idea of characters coming from detail. Because it's so easy to get generalities. And we were talking about that in the workshop where um, it's like the doctor character, the lawyer character, the accountant, the waitress, the mm-hmm. mom, the dad, you know, the crazy uncle. And so to have those specifics allows you to have um, a ten, 10 improvisers create 10 dad characters. And they're absolutely, completely different from each other if we're doing our work well. Yes. And there's no trace of similarity because they're 10 unique individuals. And I think that's true of all theater, not just improvisation. So how many times can or have people watched a specific Shakespeare, Romeo and Juliet, right? Um, it's different every single time, exactly the same script, even if they're working uh, you know, exactly from the folio with no cuts. Um, it's this Romeo and Juliet in this production is going to be the only time in the history of humanity that Romeo and Juliet was presented in this way. And somebody else's Romeo and Juliet will make it a different play. And that's mm-hmm. what's so exciting about theater, isn't it? Sure. I mean, I think. 
I don't know if that answered your question at all. <laughs> it answered many <laughs> questions. It's okay. <laughs> um, well, actually, yeah, on that point, because say you're doing a show and you find that somebody is making a lot of references to very specific, so not necessarily, oh, how do I explain this, references to very cultural things. Like, do you, is that dangerous territory or is it okay to really go for it? Well, I think uh, you have to. Yeah. I mean, um, the theater's like politics. It's local. Right, so uh, we just did a show this Christmas, and I think it was a good Christmas show. But there were a lot of things in it that people from uh, our, our county in Canada, Northumberland, mm-hmm. uh, got and understood, and from Crammy Township, which is where we live. Yeah. Um, uh, and people from outside would not understand it, but they still mm-hmm. enjoyed the overall show. Right. And there might be a reference joke here or there mm-hmm. that the audience didn't get. But that makes them feel like they're on the inside, like somehow mm-hmm. or another they're in the know from other people who didn't come and see the show. Mm-hmm. And certainly Second City and places like that in North America have been doing that for years where the, uh, the references within the scenes are very uh, specific to Chicago or Toronto or some other city in North America. But if... It, but people from Phoenix or from the UK or from New Zealand even uh, come and uh, see the show, they're going to love the show. They're going to love the mom and dad character. Yeah. They may not get the reference to Mayor Daly, but they're going to love the mom and dad character. And they know right. it's a mayor, mm. and they just don't get the depth of the joke. Yeah. Okay. But they still get the scene. And, and, they, and, and I think when we do that as artists, if we... As, as craftspeople, if we develop a scene and we develop a piece, whether it's improvised or, or script from improvisation, and we use those specifics, then our audiences know it's from the heart. They know it's local. It's like it's like um, uh, you know organically grown food. You know, buy local. Yeah, <laughs> it's like you know, dr- eat honey that was. Uh, that was taken from hives within a four-mile radius or whatever the rule, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, of course, it's, of course. It's like, uh, it's like eating, it's buying local. And charge more. <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe. But it's, it's, But you can also give it away to your neighbors. Huh? So, so the idea of whether it's food or whether it's um, uh, fabric mm. or uh, improvisational or comedy, um, it is local. It's always local, and it's always about what's happening here. And I think when you're doing a touring show, you also have to change the references. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, this that show can go all over internationally. But if it's a joke about the weird thing in that city, well, it's going to be different in every city. Yeah. I mean, if you're on top of it. Of course. Well, I remember when we were in the touring company, one of the first things we'd do when we went to do a job was we'd go to the local bulletin boards. Yeah. like on university campuses, and see what was going on. And take notes and then go and stick all that stuff in the show. And people would love it because it's like, oh, my God, how did you know about that? Yeah. Well, uh, because we knew where to look and what to look for. Yeah. Um, and it's our job. But to the audience, it's like magic. Well, yeah. And, 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 pre- and I think more importantly, it's, it's really appreciated. It's yeah. like, oh, you took the trouble and the time to understand our locale. Yeah. It's like, great, thank you. I also think if you do that well, then it's really exciting for the audience because they do feel very included because you'll find that there are a lot of slightly more hacky versions of that where they'll come in and say, hi, Manchester, I was just down at 
old Trafford and you know <laughs> they'll go a bit mad and it's like well you've not actually made a joke about what you've seen whereas if you do take the time to look at these bulletin boards and incorporate that as a joke as opposed to just a fleeting reference yeah. it's it's so rewarding when it's done well yeah and it's, there's a real difference between a reference joke and a joke that uh, is referential yeah certainly mm. um, I think one of the things that kind of came up a couple of times over this weekend has been people sort of being really self-critical and that impeding I'm not looking at anyone in particular while I'm saying this um, and, <laughs> and get back in the box <laughs> and that kind of impeding their ability to be present in the scene in a way that they would want to be what how would you suggest people kind of go about getting over that self-criticism to well, is this podcast going to specifically improvisers, probably? So, like, how specific can I get? Um, you can get pretty specific. All right. Well, then, in that case, we have some things that, some tools that really help us to not be self-conscious. And by the way, that self-consciousness happens when you're first starting to improvise. Mm. But it also happens about every five years. <laughs> so, just like about every five years... One goes through a process of, uh, oh, my God, I can't do this anymore. I'm stupid. I'm just, I don't have any. That sounds like just a life. Yeah, (laughs) well, exactly. It's exactly that five-year shift. Exactly. Um, I'm too old, too bad, too stupid. I can't do it. I don't know anymore. I'm not quick enough. All those negative things. And so there are some very specific things we can do as improvisers to stop being self-conscious whenever it comes up and for whatever reason it comes up. Uh, One of them is uh, in old traditional improvisation, it's grab an activity. In the work that I tend to do and in my book, um, uh, we refer to it as exploring and heightening a point of concentration in the environment, the environment itself and other people. And you always have those three things. You always have something to look out on. And the the work that I do is very specifically um, about focusing out. Yeah. So making discoveries and reacting emotional, uh, having emotional reactions to those discoveries. So a discovery in the environment, a discovery about the other person, a discovery about a point of view that one might have or mm-hmm. an object or an activity. Yeah. And then uh, uh, allow, your, allow your character to react to it. And when you do that, you stop thinking about self. So almost if if people notice in improvisation from almost the first day of any improvisational class, you're primarily learning how to focus out and not in. And that's what helps you not be self-conscious. Yeah, that sounds good. It sounds, I mean, to put it crudely, I would say, you know, you could look at other people, well, look at all the other, you know, your environment and your other scene partners. You distract yourself because it's, it's what you do say. Even before a show, you find that you're nervous about it and then often people will say like just focus on i don't know the green room look at the pictures on the wall and uh you know just drink some water like take your mind off yeah you well, there's a, that, that old joke think of the audience as naked yeah yeah all that <laughs> stuff so yeah like, when they are i think well, exactly <laughs> yeah. so yeah i think if you see him partner is naked and see where the scene goes <laughs> there you go. would be. i think that's going to lead to some very specific scenes <laughs> How often have you actually gotten people to get naked for you? I mean, Edgy, Under what context? Huh? <laughs> uh, on stage. 
thankfully zero because we're uh, all very glad of that. Yeah, uh, I think. Where would you keep your gun? (laughs) 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 I was just waiting for you to ask. (laughs) (laughs) Oh goodness! (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. Uh, Moving on. (laughs) (laughs) There's uh, there's also the okay. So something for me is that. Uh, in Manchester specifically, and I'm sure a lot of other places, there's there isn't a great scene uh, as far as improv is concerned. It's very small, and uh, you know, not much going on. So, <laughs> I was wondering what what's what can be done to encourage growth. What what I mean, how do we marketing marketing? Joey, you gotta market this stuff. Look, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it it um uh wit. The better the community gets at doing the work, hmm. the more people are attracted to it. Right. And certainly um, there, there's a lot of harm in whose line is it because people, the general public, tend to think of improvisation as being whose line is it anyway. Mm. Yeah. And, of course, it is so much more than that and so much richer. Yeah. And so much, uh, uh, I think, the more improvisation starts to create companies that create product from improvisation, that will encourage people to do all improvised shows and improvised classes. So as, as, as the uh, quality of theater grows, the audience grows. And then people who are interested in doing it grows. So it's up to us to raise the bar in terms of what we are presenting the public. Put on a good show and they'll want to join in. That's right. Absolutely. They will come. Yeah. <laughs> yes. The, the field of dreams approach to improv. Well, yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. You know, and look what happened at Field of Dreams. There were cars lining up down the highway <laughs> in Ohio or Iowa <laughs> or one of those states just to see a baseball game. <laughs> just to see people play baseball. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anything about baseball. Huh? It's a movie, don't worry. Right. <laughs> okay. This is okay. getting back to the very specific references. That yeah, you exactly. Baseball? We can joke around about it, but the real truth of it is you can put out a show Mm. And 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 you can't expect people to come just because we're here. No. Yeah. I mean, look, we're here on stage. Why aren't you coming? Mm. We put it on Facebook, mm. and no one's showing up. <laughs> well, what is? Then we have to go back and say, well, what it, what can we do to make people uh, interested yeah. to encourage them to come to? And not just because we're charging a, a, a fiver, but because we do really good work mm. and. And it's like any other show. Mm. Yeah. So we've got to be doing something that's unique and different and Not interesting. No, you just have no. You don't have to do it. Be unique or interesting. You just okay. have. To, I, I think, uh, and not to disagree, but I disagree. Um, <laughs> but to absolutely just tell a good story well. Okay. Do do it well. Tell a good story that people want to hear about with good acting, good characters, good improvisation, and people will come. And you don't have to be unique or crazy or weird or, or mm. uh, totally different. You just have to be good, right? And then yeah. people will come because it's good, because they go, you know what? That When you tell a good story well, it resonates with people. And people tell their friends, and they go, that was a great evening. I had so much fun. You've got to go. 
what do you think of then, the, you know, the good to funny ratio? As in, well, <laughs> uh, in, in the sense that no story to funny ratio, I think that's what I meant, yeah. So, I mean, because sometimes you focus so much on the story and I think that, I mean, I understand you're not meant to like try and do as many punchlines as you want, but sometimes you, you do all this story and it's it's a good story, but it's not as funny, it's not rip-roaringly hardy-ha. Uh, I mean, do you think that matters a great deal? <laughs> do you think, you know, or does it need to be more funny than story? You know why things are funny. You do it stand-up. <laughs> things are funny because you were screwed over in high school. Yeah, That's what makes you funny. It's because you've experienced an enormous amount of pain and suffering in your life. And you bring that to the work. As, as craftspeople, mm. right? It doesn't matter whether you're doing stand-up or writing jokes or, or doing improvisation. The stuff that you're creating comes out funny because you share your pain. That's it. I mean, that's the truth of it. And, and, uh, and people who can't be honest, people who can't share their truth, mm. aren't going to get the laughs, aren't going to be funny, and people who can will. Mm. And that's right. part of being good as well, is having the courage... Uh, to be honest. Deep. <laughs> <laughs> it's in, so, yeah, I mean, it's almost sometimes you you would say that and I would think, well, you know, the only people that can uh, do excellent or particularly good comedy is to have lived a ridiculously hard life and, and come from nothing but strife. Are, are these the funniest people or can you come from a, a very well to do, everything's okay and still be... Well, you think rich people don't get hurt? <laughs> rich people feel pain they do it's true i know it's hard to believe but it's it's not a question of station mm. it's a question of you know look the captain of the the captain of the football team and and the guy that's got you know good looking captain of the football team is going to get he doesn't need to make people laugh but those of us who have had to make people laugh in order to keep friends in order to get along in order to get through high school in order to get laid right we mm -hmm. make people laugh that's how we do it and that's yeah. why we gravitate towards uh, the, and those other guys are probably going to go into insurance or their dad's business mm -hmm. or they're just not going to go into comedy they're going to see, oh, improv class. They're going to go, no. <laughs> right? They're not going to be interested. So those of us who tend to gravitate towards this kind of theater are people that need to express themselves, that need to share, that need to find community mm. sometimes, but also who have suffered a certain amount of pain, and that does, that's not class. That's just, human, that's just human life. Yeah. You know, that's our existence. And uh, if you've ever been dumped by someone, you can laugh. Hmm. Right? And, and so, and our audience finds, everybody's done it, right? Everybody's had those experiences. So when we create them in a stand-up act or we create them in an improvisational show, people laugh because they go, oh, my God, that's me too. Yeah. Right? And uh, Next question then. The... How do you, or what do you think about portraying uncomfortable or potentially controversial subjects on stage tactfully? Like how, how, what are good ways to go about that? Okay, well, I'm not sure how, how, why you need to be tactful, but I understand. <laughs> um, I mean, look, if you're not dealing with uh, contra whatever controversial subjects, whatever you mean by that, if you're not dealing with that kind of stuff, then go home. What are you doing? 
You know, then you're just, you know, masturbating on stage, hoping that people will love you. No offense, but I mean, if you're that not would dealing, be quite offensive. Yeah, if you're not dealing with well, it depends on the club. But you're not dealing with if you're not dealing with controversy. If you're not dealing with those things that are in society that uh, people uh, are fearful of, that people are worried about, then well, what the what are, what are we doing? Why do the work? Mm. That's what we do. We yeah. tell stories in order to be able to illuminate the things that we feel uh, society or government or whomever are, are uh, oppressing us or they're, w- that we're fearful of or that we think are absolutely wrong mm. or that are controversial. Yeah. yeah. So That's why we do the work. It's a good way to make a point of a statement. Yeah. To add to what you were saying, when you're yes-anding and you're kind of in the yes-and yes mindset, and something comes up that you don't want to yes and, but you're sort of thinking to yourself, oh, as an improviser, I should yes and this. I had something once, um, we were going around in a circle and we were um, just sort of pimping to each other something. And I got something like, um, oh, you're a black gangster or something like that. Um, and I thought, oh God, I've got a yes and this. I really don't want to do it. And I did something that I didn't like. Um, I went straight to like a really sort of quite offensive stereotype. So to what extent do you... Um, <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> but I kind of think like, oh God, I have to. If I don't, I'm blocking. I have to yes and everything. But I think, uh, I think perhaps there's a misunderstanding <coughs> excuse me, of uh, <coughs> what yes and is. When you're first learning yes and, it's very easy to say, yeah, I have to say yes and add to the content of what the person is saying in that circle just said. But as you get more, and that's a way to teach children and very young improvisers the principle of yes and. But once you get to a more sophisticated level of the work, you're saying yes to your partner and you're adding something to the whole. So you're not just yes ending their content because that's a trap. You are saying yes to your partner and adding something more significant to it. So if someone says, you're a, 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 a you're 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 a, what am I saying? You're a sailor, <laughs> which is pretty offensive you know, <laughs> if you think about it. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> you say, "Yes, I am a sailor," or I understand why you would think that. And I could, if I were you, I'd agree. Yeah. But I'm actually an accountant, and I like accounting. Now you said. I understand. I'm not going to negate that you didn't say that, but I'm not necessarily going to say. It. If someone says to me, "Well, this there's a gun and um, you should shoot yourself," I can say to you, "You know what? No, I'm not going to." And Jess and I were talking about that at lunch today. That um, one, the minute you learn yes and as a principle, you also get sophisticated enough that you start to understand how to say no and make it work. So it's not this dogma that you have to follow. And and improvisation, I think, has become kind of a field of of principles that people say as if they're like, you know, that Moses brought them down from the improv mount and said, (laughs) you must always yes and or God will smite you. You know, it's like what? It's 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 what it's also whatever works for your group. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of things. So, 
Um, I think that's possibly like in the way that I learn. I'm kind of I'm always looking to formulate a dogma. I kind of like I want. <laughs> well, because I you want, want to be right. The bins you out and, you don't yeah. want to get your peepee smacked, yeah, right? Yeah. You don't <laughs> want the professor at least to not tell in that you way. Wrong. Yeah. So so you learn. Uh, you want to learn it so that you can't be criticized for being wrong. And the problem is when you're dealing with craft and art, yeah. you're always wrong all the time. And you have to get over yourself yeah. so that you're no longer thinking about, is this right? Is this wrong? But is this effective or not effective? Am I being truthful? Am I staying in the moment? Am I supporting yeah. my partner? Are we creating something viable that the audience uh, can appreciate? Are we telling a good story well? Yeah. And then to hell with the frickin' rules. Who cares? Yeah, yeah. So you say no a bunch. God isn't going to come down and smack you. <laughs> you know? Um, uh, and so, and so when, when this work becomes dogma, and when people think there's one way to do anything, yeah. they are wrong. And they're yeah. also stifling people. And they're also preventing cre the creative process. Yeah. Are there any other questions at all? Um, yeah. <laughs> um, I've been doing um, a lot of clowning, um, and Excellent. I kind of I find it um, sort of quite useful, just to get out of my head and generally get in a sort of a more um, playful frame of mind. Yeah. Um, how useful? I was wondering how useful as a technique do you find it, and how you how maybe valid as like an art form by itself. Valid as an art form it, by yeah. itself, absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Um, useful to us as uh, comedians and improvisers, absolutely essential. So 100% yes to all of it, from American whiteface clown to Lecoq to, to just having the understanding to watch old silent films and mm -hmm. learn from the masters. We need to watch Laurel and Hardy and um, and Charlie Chaplin and the cl the great clowns of the world. Otherwise, yeah, it's absolutely essential yeah. to be a well-rounded improviser. Good acting classes and good clown workshops and good improvisation, I think, are the three cornerstones of the work we do. And I think every improviser needs to be well um, well developed in all three areas. Mm. At, without a doubt, man doth not live on improv alone. Yeah, yeah. That's what I There's wanted to also hear. <laughs> I'm right. I'm doing it right. I'm following. I'm following the good dogma. You are right. And he's finally getting the validation that he's been seeking. Can I throw a quick, very quick question? Um, so uh, you mentioned over the course of the weekend uh, a few different sort of generations of improv, as you know, starting from basic games and working their way through a variety of different evolutions of style and so on. Mm -hmm. uh, I just wondered, um, what do you think's coming next? What do you think, Im like, it, you, you mentioned like improv 2.0, improv 3.0, all that sort of thing. Improv 4.0? Yeah, in your mind, in, do you have like an improv 5.0 in your mind that you think is gonna exist and that will, be, you know, that will blow our minds? <laughs> oh, that's a great question. Um, I'm so involved in, in 4.0, which is what we're doing around this table right now that I, um, I haven't thought about it, but I think it has to do, though, with um, robots <laughs> and uh, three-dimensional uh, three figures 
that we can interact with that are programmable so that we are improvising not just with other human beings but with um, IAs. And I think that's going to be a really intriguing... AIs. AIs. Did uh, I say yeah. IAs? You say that. Uh, I, I, I'm transposing things these days. It's because I'm getting old. That's actually Fun kind of happening. Yes, you, man. <laughs> um, so I think, it's, I think some of that is going to um, uh, be really intriguing. It's also going to be involved with the technology of, um, of masks... You know, I mean, headgear you can wear and having a three-dimensional uh, three world and 360-degree and, uh, surround huh. and uh, going environmental. I think that uh, audiences need to be surrounded by the work. Uh, they don't want to come and see big screen TV in a theater anymore. No. You know, they want, mm -hmm. to, they want to enter into an environment and explore it, and I think that's going to be part of it. Like uh, sort of like the immersive theater concept. Without yeah. a doubt. Like Site-specific kind of. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Site-specific and immersive. And whether, yes, I think, I think those elements are, are going to become an essential part of all theater, not just improvisation. Okay, so now that we know that, Edgy, if you could uh, just get us into some different places so we could start doing site-specific site improvisation so we're ahead of the curve. We did have a guy on our workshop this weekend who does deal with AI for a job as well, so... You know, you know, we've yeah, got well, our end. Oh yeah, sure. I mean, it all sounds very expensive. So <laughs> I'll, I'll build we'll see what's in the budget. <laughs> I'll, I'll build a robot and let it loose, and we'll see what it does. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if it turns out to be better comedians than all of us, then we'll be like, cool. Look, if you can't <laughs> afford a robot, then one of you plays a robot. Oh, it's cheap. Oh, it's so simple. You know? I vote for Andy. <laughs> You'd go. have all the rules that you ever wanted. <laughs> <laughs> the clowniest robot ever. <laughs> Absolutely. We're getting on in time, so we're going to move on to the next bit, which is where we do some scenes based on uh, single suggestions. So what we will need is for one of our audience members to offer us a suggestion. Uh, so this could be any words, any phrase, any place, uh, what do we have? The suggestion we have had is sundial. Go. It's really about time. Time. Amazing concept. If you think about time and the sun and shadows, then time becomes shadow. Isn't that right? Yes. Yes. I see. Do you? Yes. Ah. So if you really see, then you would be able to change time. By changing the shadow? Yes. Bending time. Yes. You could go backwards or forwards. Yes. Yes. So, how then can we change the shadows? That's the question that I've been trying to answer the last 20 years. Maybe hmm? 
Maybe we don't need to change the shadows. We need to change the light. Oh. Oh my god. Yes. Yes. That might be what your mother was trying to tell me. Change the light, of course. How? Why didn't I see that before? You're... Claire, you're a genius. Thank you. No, I mean, really, Claire. You're a genius. Huh. Jump off the old block, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Look, if we just change the light with this mirror, like this... And you stand right there. That's it. Claire? Claire, where did you go? Claire? Charles? Yes? Have you seen Claire? Uh, 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 should I have seen Claire? I, she I was standing here just a moment ago and we changed the light and she... I, 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 I'm sorry, sir. I, I, I don't know where Claire, uh, Clara is. Uh, I, I think I shall go look for her. I, 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 I'm so sorry. I'm very sorry. I'll get you some tea. Will tea do it? Will tea fix everything? I don't think tea is going to fix this, Charles. I keep getting it wrong. No, I'm afraid I did. Sir? Claire has traveled in time, Charles. Well then, I, 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 not to be in position, sir, but perhaps you could travel too in time. Perhaps it is us that traveled in time, and Claire is still where we left her. Well then, surely we must pursue our way back to where we were. Or forwards. That's the issue, isn't it? Backwards or forwards? I, you know, I'm not good with the, with, with the science like you are, sir. Perhaps then just the tea. Very good. Yes. People in the audience. The suggestion is drizzle. Again. Why does it always rain on holiday, Arthur? It was your choice to come to Morecambe. Same caravan every year. I checked the weather though, it said it ought to be nice. It is nice. Aren't you, you having fun with me? I am. Because you've been crying in the little crevice in the back for some time now. It's because we couldn't bring Gerald's. Well, I have a surprise for you. 
Gerald has been under the bed the whole time. He was allowed to get in here. <laughs> I could smell something. I thought it was a dog. Yes. The neighbours, they won't even know I took him. I still don't think they know we're feeding him. You are naughty. Here, I've got some biscuits in my bag. Lovely. <laughs> oh. I think we should buy him a collar. Is it right to buy a collar for a dog that's not your own? Well... Nobody knows us here, though, so... It'll be ours if we put a collar on him. We don't have to tell anyone. Is that how dog ownership works? You know, we can't afford a dog. Oh. It's, it's the only way. Oh, all right. All right, well, we'll go into town tomorrow and buy one. Are you... Are you happy with his name? Because we could we could change that. Oh no, Gerald. Gerald was a dog when I was ten. Right. It's funny I... that we should live next to another dog called Gerald. Why do you think we bought the house? Oh. Oh, you're ever so clever, love. I just find dogs called Gerald. And I'm moving next door. Is that why we've moved five times in the past four years? Yes, dear. I know it's been hard on you, but we get a nice dog each time. We do. That's, that's very true. But Gerald looks like he'll be the tastiest. Okay, it looks like we, we have one, uh, we have time for one more. So we will get one final suggestion from the audience, please. And the suggestion is catapult. Okay, okay, guys. I mean, look, we, we've... Business isn't going so well, okay? So we need to, we need to do something, okay? We're selling these pumpkins. And we're selling them around the year. Okay, this is revolutionary, but somehow it's it for some reason we're not doing too good. So we need ideas. Okay, boss, you mean your strategic genius has deserted you? You know we've relied on you all of these years. We look up to you, and you should continue to do so. Okay. It's what hard. if we painted them different colors? Bang! That's the kind of thing I'm kind of looking for. Okay, let's paint them different colors. What kind of colors are we looking at? I you thought know. we could have a blue one and a purple one and a green one. Blue, purple, and green. They could be like a decorative ornament. That's excellent. We could sell them to the hippies. They like that kind of crap, right? Yeah. Exactly. So we're going to paint them. Okay, so that's one idea. I've had another idea. We can, we can sell them to artists, okay? We can sculpt them and sell them as art to artists to then put out as art. And then what we're doing is we're, main, we're you know, wholesaling art... And, and making art. That's good, right? That's yeah. good. Everybody needs art in their life. Those sure were some words, boss. I like your yesmanship. Thank you, boss. You I like your approval of my yesmanship. Good work, kid. You're not getting a pay rise, by the way. 
Thank you, boss. That's correct of you. That is a correct decision. I have not earned pay rise. It is correct for you not to give me one. But that may be about to change. I've been hearing the word in the street that people are looking for express pumpkin delivery. People are fed up with the fact that their pumpkins are arriving at the speed usually dictated by the ability of a man to walk along the street. We should get them delivered by birds. Birds would eat the pumpkins. You can't have a bird deliver anything that is edible by a bird. We have learned this lesson from Cherry Express, have we not? Yeah, that's true. Oh, hello, is anybody there? Hey, who, who, who's that? Who's at the door? Somebody oh. get the door. Uh, hi. Oh, hi. Oh. Hey, uh, um, I'm visiting from the States. Yeah, yeah, I'm a hippie and an artist. Yeah, I'm looking for some pumpkins. So, uh, like, man, I heard that you had pumpkins here. See, this is our guy. I'd like to buy um, 360 pumpkins. It's kind of a project we're doing, yeah. <laughs> you know, like we're shipping them and shit. If if you don't mind me asking, what 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 kind of form does this project take? Um, form, yeah. Wait, what do you mean form? Well, it's just that to provide you with the right kind of pumpkins, the right amount of pumpkins, it'll be useful to know what kind of. What kind of business you doing with um, them? Any kind of pumpkin, man, that can be hollowed out and fit like a full baggie of whatever <laughs> you wanted to put in, man. So, like, you know, like a baggie. Hey, hey, like, don't chastise the customer. Oh, you no, know? I'm just trying to get an idea as to his business model, because maybe we could repurpose it for our own purposes. Um, Hey, man, that sounds like a real private conversation, man. And no, don't worry so, about it. Stick okay, around. Okay, so look, man, um, can I get the pumpkins? Yes or no, man? Yeah, you okay. can totally get the pumpkins. That is so far out of you, man. Um, I will be back, like, tomorrow to get my pumpkins. Very cool meeting all of you. And nice to meet you too, sir. Is it? Yes. Cool. All right, man. I will see you tomorrow. I am so freaking juiced about this, man. Guys, look, we, we, we've made it. This is it. This is our big purchase. Your ship has come in, boss. I always had faith in you. Exactly. A perfectly reliable hippie has come in and he's going to... He's gonna pay us. He seems like the kind of hippie who will return with a new novel artistic project roughly on a weekly basis. He seems like a man with a dependable income stream and regular plans. This is wonderful. Okay, what we need to do is we, we need to start rounding up the pumpkins. Okay. Oh, yeah, sure. No problem. We can do that. Are you sure? Because last time it was the whole thing and we didn't fulfill the order. Well, I mean, we've only got about 150 at the moment, but I'm sure that, you know, by the time that he comes back, we'll have enough. Only 150? What happened to the, what happened to the rest of the pumpkins? We had at least 250. I was experimenting with the birds. Exper- for fuck? You and the fucking birds. I just thought they could carry them. If only there was another way. If only. 
If only there was some other way to move a pumpkin fa- God damn it, guys! I have dragged this frickin' catapult into the office, and I build it, and nobody has remarked upon it. It has been sitting in the corner by my desk for the last 12 days, and not a single person has thought to come by and say, Hey, Joe, what's with the catapult? Well, that's what it was for. It was for my big idea. It was so I could have an idea for once. Okay. This ain't fucking the old England. please use it? <laughs> He's got a point, boss. But we're cutting edge, okay? We gotta use technology. I just Joe, want to kind of pull the pumpkin out of a window at a customer. That's all I want. Okay, okay. Fine. As long as we can keep it cutting edge. Can we at least put some Wi-Fi on the catapult or something? Help yourself. Whatever that is, stick it on there. Okay, we've got delivery sorted. Now, let's grow some fucking pumpkins. Let's do it. Thank you. 